Hello, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures. I'm Corey. And I'm Courtney. And this is Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, a true crime show that digs into the dark depths of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes left behind, all while sipping on a sinister cocktail masterminded by Corey for each episode. We want to first start out by saying that our sinister cocktails featured for each episode is just to help us lighten the mood a bit on the dark and horrific crimes we cover. And in no way, shape, or form are we trying to make light of the horrific crimes. Please know our hearts go out to the victims, their families and friends, and law enforcement affected by each of the cases we cover. Okay, Corey, what sinister cocktail have you masterminded for today's episode that is ending this month of crime solved with DNA and genetic genealogy? I'm calling this one Murder in My DNA. Two ounces of vodka, one ounce of tart cherry juice, half an ounce of lemon juice, two dashes of cherry bitters, half an ounce of cherry syrup, and a bar spoon of agua faba. Combine all the ingredients into a shaker with some ice and give it a good shake until cold. Double straight it into a glass of your choice. Garnish with three cherries and enjoy. I really like this one. It's not too sweet. It has kind of like a sour, it's kind of like a sour cherry candy. Yep, it is. And it's really, really good. And I do like that it's not so sweet. I like the tartness in it. So do I. Good job, buddy. Thanks. So all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for this sinister true crime. As sailors' genes get him caught. Believe us, you're going to need it. The first public arrest through genetic genealogy was the April 2018 identification of the suspected Golden Gate State Killer. Since then, genetic genealogy has helped identify more than three dozen suspects in violent crimes, with one of those being the murder of Pamela Cannons. In August of 1984, Orlando Navy recruit 25-year-old Pamela Cannons was found beaten and strangled to death in Sanford, Florida. Almost 40 years later, DNA and genetic genealogy would link Thomas Lewis Garner, a former naval classmate of Pamela's, to her 1984 murder. However, this would not be his only killing. In 2021, he was linked to the death of 25-year-old Kathy Hicks, who was murdered in September of 1982. So, could Thomas Lewis Gardner be responsible for other sinister unsolved murders? Oh, yeah. Now that they've got his DNA, it'll be interesting to see how many they start to string him to. Because obviously, what we're going to get into his background, everything of this case and his MO, but he has a very specific MO, so this is going to be interesting. Yes, it is. Pamela Cannons grew up in a loving, tight-knit family on a farm outside of Stillwater, Minnesota, and was the second youngest of eight siblings. She would later move to St. Paul to work for a publishing company, but at the age of 25, she wanted more from life and to travel the world. The United States Navy would give her these opportunities. So in May of 1984, Pamela, with the blessing of her parents, reported to boot camp in Orlando, Florida. She was well-prepared for military service thanks to her upbringing on the family farm. On the morning of August 5, 1984, just two days after graduating from the Navy's basic training in Orlando, Florida, a driver who was passing by found Pamela's beaten, strangled, and mostly nude body on the lawn of a vacant home in Sanford, Florida, about 25 miles from Orlando. Her Navy uniform was found near her body. DNA from under Pamela's fingernails and from her underwear, the only item of clothing still on her body, was collected. However, it would be decades later before it could be used in solving her case. 
Yeah. So this is one of the very first, I mean, this is the first case they really use a genetic genealogy on. And it's really interesting how they were able to preserve the DNA for that long and keep it intact enough to be able to track them down through this. So this was a really good job on the investigators part too. I would agree. It really is interesting. I can see why you really like this so much. I mean, it really is fascinating in the work that they do. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a really great tool, cutting edge. I mean, I, and I say it's a tool because when you're solving crimes, especially something like this where you don't have a lot of leads, an old case, cold case like this too, you don't have a lot of leads. You really have to start putting pieces together. So it is a big puzzle and all the tools that you can possibly have at your disposal is going to be huge to be able to solve it. I would agree. A little side note, I really feel like my dad would be a really good person for doing the genetic genealogy because he did so much for my maiden name side. Like, I mean, he really went into death. I feel like, dad, this might be a good retirement (laughs) job for you. (laughs) This might be something good you can track down. Yeah. And like I told you before in prior podcast, the people that do this aren't law enforcement trained. I mean, a lot of the people that the law enforcement are using are just people who've done their own family genetic history and genealogy. And they kind of just got really good at tracking and how to do it because it does take a lot of research. So that's what they got good at. And now they're using it to this case, but it takes so much more. It's not just the people doing the genealogy. It takes the the investigators to go out and and question and the family members collect the DNA, have a DNA lab lab that'll test it for you. So there's a lot of encompassed into this. Agreed. Nobody had a clue how Pamela ended up about half an hour north of the Naval Training Center in Orlando. According to police reports, Pamela had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. Investigators thought the suspect was probably connected to the training base in some way, but no obvious suspects or persons of interest emerged during the infancy of the investigation. And like I said, it's really hard. They didn't have a lot to go on. You know, you didn't have ring cameras back then or anything like that. And it was a vacant house. Nobody was, you know, nobody was there. So they didn't have a lot to go on. According to an Orlando Sentinel report published on August 12th, 1984, investigators were unable to determine close friends of Pamela's because most of her classmates had already been stationed elsewhere just days before her murder. Yeah, that's also really, really interesting as far as they didn't have a lot to go on. You know, I mean, after they graduate basic, they usually get shipped out pretty quickly. All over the world, too. Yeah. So I, I can imagine. them down, that's going to be hard yeah. and expensive. Yeah, I can imagine. And the military wasn't really all into helping either. You yeah. know, they were very private about what they did. They're a lot more open nowadays. But back then, it took a lot to get into military records to see where people were to talk to them. Yep. Pamela's family could not fathom why anyone would want to hurt her. Her sister, Eileen Cannons Bergman, stated to the media, she didn't deserve this. No woman does. Well, yeah, that's true. I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a terrible way to die. Investigators in Seminole County, Florida, worked diligently on the case, but were never able to make an arrest. Pamela's family would spend the next 34 years wondering who killed her and why. That would all change, however, in March of 2019, when a suspect would be taken into custody. 59-year-old Thomas Lewis Gardner was trying to kick an old smoking habit, mourning the loss of his mother, and preparing to ask the woman he loved to marry him. He was living an ordinary life, living alone in a small apartment in North Jacksonville, Florida, on Dunn Avenue, going to work as a dental hygienist and returning home every day. According to the Orlando Sentinel, on March 13, 2019, investigators visited Gardner at his apartment but ended up finding him in the parking lot of the complex. Upon approaching Gardner, investigators told him that they just wanted to make small talk, asking him to recall names of people he served with in the Navy more than 30 years earlier. 
I'm sorry, but for anybody, that's going to be fucking hard. Well, not just that, but I mean, imagine if he's the person that's done this, right? He's already a little bit on like, wait a minute, what the hell? Why are you asking me about 30 years ago in the Navy? I mean, instantly he's going to be clued in that they're there to look for him because he did it. You know what I mean? So of course he's going to be guarded and not give it a lot of information. Fucking agree. <laughs> Although, I mean, he got away with it for 30 fucking years. He did, but now all of a sudden he didn't. You know what I mean? Because why else would investigators walk up to you and be like, hey, you know, to me, I'm going to say this right now. This is a mistake on the investigator's part for my sake. What I have found in my law enforcement experience and in my ability to interview people is being straightforward, being truthful with them up front. They get a little guarded at first, but eventually as you talk to them and you're honest with them and you don't try to beat around the bush and be dishonest with them, they will eventually come around telling you the truth. Otherwise, if you lie to them, they're going to lie back to you. And then it's going to be this cat and mouse game of lies. So I'm going to say this is probably kind of a mistake on the investigator's part as far as, dude, come on, just go up there and tell him, hey, we're investigating an old murder, a cold case from Orlando back when you were stationed there. Do you ever remember meeting this lady? Do you ever remember anybody about this? And then go from there, right? You know what I mean? We're tracking down everybody who was stationed with her there that went through the school with her, you know, that kind of thing. Not, hey, you remember anybody from 30 years ago? Like, I can imagine how that fucking conversation went. I would agree with that. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Get off my lawn or get out of my parking lot. (laughs) Gardner would soon discover the investigators weren't really there for small talk. Well, yep. (laughs) That's what I was like. Why are you trying to make small talk? Just tell them what you're there for. When the Seminole County Sheriff's Office investigator Jennifer Spears and Naval Criminal Investigative Service Special Agent Bill Eflin, that's a fucking mouthful. Ooh, yeah. Told Gardner that his semen was found on Pamela Cannon's underwear from the night of her murder. Gardner stated, I don't know how that could be possible. I mean, this is bizarre. This is almost like the Twilight Zone. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how my semen got there. My first question would have been, well, how do you know that's my semen? Yep. This is where I can tell that Mr. Gardner was not of the upper echelon of intelligence because a true sociopath would have played into that game real quick and been back and forth with the cat and mouse kind of thing. You know what I mean? So I think Mr. Gardner was just a, a sick individual who liked to rape and kill women. I would agree with that. Investigators soon arrested Gardner in the parking lot of his apartment complex for the 1984 murder of 25-year-old Pamela Cannons. At the time of his arrest, the Seminole County deputy said that Garner had behaved abnormally. Well, what is abnormally when you're arrested? Because, like, I would have been shitting myself. Like, I mean, I would have been in a full-on panic attack, Corey. You know I would have been. I would have been like, I have to go to the hospital. I can't breathe. For somebody who's usually innocent, that's usually the, the common way of reacting. But for somebody who is not innocent, the quietness, the not really talking, not making eye contact... You know, acting like this is just out of the blue. Like, I don't know where this could possibly be coming from. And asking odd questions. I'll never forget. I was doing this one interview when I was back in my days of probation. We had a guy that got arrested and I was called over to the jail to go interview him with one of the detectives about a new case. And we're sitting there and we're talking to him. You can't, by this time, you can't smoke in jails anymore, right? Like, there's no, you, you don't get to do that. But the detective, was like, hey, if, you know, we get through and we're talking here, and he's like, I'll take you out and let you have a smoke. Well, the guy's like, well, what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? After we have told him and showed him pictures of the case, his response to us was, well, what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? 
So, you know, he was already so disconnected from the case and he already knew what was going on and he was trying to be evasive with us. And he changed the subject to what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? Dude, I'm, we're about to charge you with a new crime <laughs> that could potentially put you away for the rest of your life. I feel like what kind of cigarettes you, <laughs> you chose? That's I just not showed the question you, you should be asking. Yeah, I just showed you really graphic crime scene video, you know, stuff. And you're sitting here going, well, what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? That's odd behavior, right? Like that's not... Okay. That's not a normal kind of, you know, behavior. So that's probably what they're talking about. I would think normally people would have been like, thank you for the offering me a smoke. <laughs> I don't give a shit what brand. It could be fucking menthol and I don't smoke that shit. Or they'll say, yes, can I have one, please? I, I need a cigarette because my nerves are shot. You know what I mean? And a shot of tequila. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you have. Just give it Xanax, whatever. Just something. Give it to me. I need something. Because I'm literally. My asshole's head. twitching. <laughs> I am shitting myself sitting here. Authorities were able to tie Gardner to Pamela's murder after a distant family member of Gardner's submitted a genetic profile to an Ancestry website. That profile was used to complete a family tree that investigators used to hone in on Gardner. Now, Investigator Spears had fished Gardner's trash out of a dumpster of his Jacksonville apartment complex and got a DNA sample that matched evidence found on Pamela. Investigators said that the odds of Gardner being the suspect are one to 700 billion. Yeah, so when you talk about statistics again with this, right, how we testify on this, is the odds of him being the one is one in 700 billion. So the likelihood of it being him is greater than one in 7 billion. So, I mean, that's a really good... That's a good... Um, yeah, because they did it, buddy. Yeah, they're saying that he's the only one out of 7 billion people that would match this. That's how they're going to testify to it. So, yeah, he, I mean, it was all him. You know, 100% all him. Fucking agree. And also, too, what I haven't mentioned before either in our podcast is that it's also a matter of talking about people who have died, too. You have to go back and look at census and when you testify to this kind of stuff, like what we're looking at, because if this case is 30 years old. How many people were alive back then to how many people are alive today? So it's why you have to talk more in statistics and more of a, a likability than is a definite. Okay. But what's really interesting, too, is I know a little bit more about this case just because it was one of the very first DNA cases to ever get solved by the genealogy. And one thing, too, is that back in the day, he was part of because they were in the same training program. I don't want to say he was a suspect because he wasn't a suspect, but he was a person of interest. All of them were that were in that training program with her when she was at the Naval Academy or the label base getting trained. But all of them were part of it. Uh, of that, not suspect, but the person of interest of list. Yeah, of a pool of people like, because it was a subset of people. It was a, what she was doing, I think, had something to do with dentistry. So it was a very small subset of people that were in it. And, and he was one of them. I mean, he was never more than just a person of interest back then until they got the DNA back. Oh, those relatives. <laughs> Fire relatives. I know. The second I put my, my DNA into 23andMe, I was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to get a knock on my door one day and be like, hey, by the way, your DNA matches this guy that did some murders. Oh, perfect. Great. That's podcast material. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. Thomas Lewis Gardner, who was Pamela Cannon's classmate at the Navy Training Center in Orlando, Florida, was arrested for first degree premeditated murder. During two interviews, Gardner claimed to have memory problems. He said he did not remember Pamela and told authorities that he wouldn't have dated her because she was a recruit adding that he couldn't remember anything like that happening or seeing himself being in a scenario like that. Yeah. Okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. He was part of a person of interest back in the day when it first happened because he was there and he was in that subset of group of people where she was at. So he was definitely part of it. But yeah, I mean, this is a perfectly good example of um, anything like that ever happening. I got memory loss. Yeah. That's I, convenient. <laughs> 
and you know, seeing myself being in that that scenario like that. <laughs> That's a great way. I mean, think about the words that he's using, right? I can't remember a thing, uh, uh, anything like that happening. Well, why would you? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to remember that. You know what I mean? Like this is the what I would call a curveball of a sentence, right? I can't remember anything like that happening. Well, if you could, then you know what I mean? Why wouldn't you come forward before? Like, why is that? I can't remember. Of course you can't remember if it didn't happen, you dumb fuck. But Honestly, if you did, then of course you do. <laughs> this conversation reminds me having a conversation with my 10-year-old. Like, yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> Doesn't seem like something I would do. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, just, I can't see myself in that situation of, <laughs> of of raping and killing and strangling a woman. Like, that just doesn't seem like something. I mean, I just really don't remember. I mean, that's a flat out, fuck, no, I didn't do that. That's what I, you know what I mean? Exactly. Straight There's up. no way. Like, no, it's a straight that up. That me, I would be adamantly denying. Yeah. No, 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 no. Ain't you're no fucking way. wrong. You're Mm-mm. fucking wrong. Nope. I don't give a shit. Retest whatever you're saying because that shit's wrong. Not like, mm, I just, I really can't remember. And that just doesn't seem like something I would do. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I can't really remember. I would agree with that. That's it's so up. terrible. I feel like you're guilty. Yeah, big time. Investigators also showed Gardner images of the injuries to Pamela's throat, pleading with him to talk so that her family could finally know what had happened to her. Gardner stated to the investigators, I don't know how many times I'm going to have to tell you the same thing. I have no idea what you're talking about. Despite being confronted with the DNA evidence, Gardner maintained his innocence. <laughs> of course he did. I want to get the chair. I, I don't want to get the lethal <laughs> no, injection. No, I don't. I don't know. No. And first, it's Florida. I I, yeah, I, I, I also think it's funny that he's like, well, I don't really remember that ever, anything like that ever happening. And I, I just can't see myself in that situation. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, I didn't do that. <laughs> Come on, dude. He's not very good at this, is no, he? No, <laughs> no. And when you and when then you're pre- presented with the DNA evidence and it's showing that it's you, and then your answer is, "Oh no, no, I didn't do it." <laughs> that would have been your first answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not like hmm, don't remember. I don't recall. I don't recall. And that really just just doesn't seem like something I would do. I mean, but he's searching for like, well, maybe I did, but I don't remember. Kind of an answer, right? And that's a red flag for me when they I give could me already kind of imagine answer. your face, Corey. If somebody told you that, you would be like, "Are you?" fucking like your eyes you wouldn't even say it. it'd just be your eyes like what the fuck you know i mean i've been lied to so much throughout my career in law enforcement especially being a probation officer i mean i just straight in the eye deadpan tell me they didn't do it and i'm like but it's in your urine so if it's in your urine you can tell me you didn't do it but it didn't magically appear in there it's a metabolite of your urine that means it went in your system it got filtered all through your little filters in your body and you pissed it out so that's how this works and then they would say it up and look at me and be like yeah no i didn't do that Oh, okay. Well, you're going to lose this argument no matter how you work it. So, you know, we could make this difficult or easy, but you make your decision here. It was always something I that I feel happened. like you went easier on the ones that were just truthful instead oh, of trying yeah. to lie to you. Be like, just yeah, I fucked up. Yeah. I, I, my bad. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I did. I fucked did, up. I fucked, well, and to me, when somebody says that, it means you have a redeemable quality about you. You can change if you want to. You still have that redeemable quality. But some of those deadpans looks you in the eye and be like, nope, I didn't do that. Dude, it's, it's in your piss like you can't explain how your how your semen got in her underwear i mean somebody didn't magically get your semen and then magically go over there and put it in her underwear <laughs> you know what i mean like that, that doesn't happen they don't live outside the body the sperm does not swim downstream like it doesn't work that way they don't just get in the pool and all of a sudden every girl in the pool's pregnant it doesn't work that way <laughs> thank god i know right jesus but that just cracks me up i mean that's just right there you've caught him so off guard he's rambling and he doesn't know what to say agreed on may 6 2021 61 year old thomas lewis gardner was convicted of first degree murder in the pamela cannon's trial 
he was sentenced to life in prison. In a statement to the press, Assistant State Attorney Anna Valentina said that Pamela Cannons enlisted in the Navy to fight for her country. Instead, she had to fight Thomas Garner for more than eight minutes, only to lose her life. Now, look, I looked everywhere. How the fuck she knew it was eight minutes? I could not find anywhere of how she knew it was eight minutes that she fought for her life. Couldn't find a statement from him. Nothing. So how does she know it was eight minutes that she fought for her life? I mean, it could have been a ability of a coroner's report combined with what he has said, all that kind of stuff, but it just didn't come out publicly okay. of what was done and what was done. And, and my guess is she's guesstimating the time amount between how long it took him to rape her to how long it took him to kill her. Because they're going to know if the rape happened prior to the death or if the death happened prior to the rape. Okay. So they probably knew that. And so the, the amount of time it would take to rape her and then kill her. And well, then you're like, talking about how long it takes to strangle somebody usually well, that's, and, okay. and cut off their okay. life. Okay. You know, so she, that's why I think she's roundabouting it at eight seconds. Guestimating it at eight seconds would be my, my best no, review of that. Okay. Sorry, Miss Anna Valentina. When I was doing the research, I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it's just about how long it takes to strangle somebody, I'm sure. Now, this is not where Garner's story is going to end, however. 43 days into Garner's life sentence, he was indicted in the September 19, 1982 killing of 25-year-old Kathy Warnett Hicks. Details of the two cases are eerily similar. Like Pamela, Kathy had been found beaten and strangled to death. Kathy, a Delta Airlines reservation clerk, had been in Hawaii for a work-related softball tournament sponsored by United Airlines. I love United Airlines. <laughs> they do have if you want to give us any free flights. They do have comfy seats. They do. She and her colleagues had been playing softball at Copiolina Regional Park the day before her murder. Her co-workers reported her missing the morning of September 19, 1982, after she failed to return overnight to the Leaky Hotel where they were staying on their trip. Investigators learned that Kathy had last been seen with a man named Tommy or Tony, who she met a couple of nights before her death at the club on Hickman Air Force Base. Oh, there you go. Huh. Feel like he was stationed there. Mm-hmm. The night of September 18th, Kathy went to her hotel room, which she was sharing with co-worker Laverdia Bynes and introduced Bynes to her new male friend. In conversation, the man told Bynes that he was a Navy sailor who had been in Hawaii for about two years. Bynes told police that she last saw Kathy and the man sometime around 1 a.m. when they left the room to go downstairs and sit by the hotel's pool. This was the last time Kathy was seen alive. Yeah, so when you're talking about his MO and the way he's working out, this is what I'm talking about. I mean, he, the sexual assault and the strangling, It's it's that's what's really, really interesting about these cases. And they're able to tie, that just gives more credence to what they're finding in the evidence. Yep. I think he definitely had a type or a definite, easily trustworthy or, sure. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, this one, he goes a little more, I'm like, he actually goes and meets her. I mean. But we don't know because nobody knew what Pamela was doing sure. before. So she could have been at a, at but a remember, Navy bar But remember, him something. and Pamela were to, were in the same class. training stuff. That's class. true. So that's how I think he probably caught up with Pamela compared to this lady who he met at a bar. A bar. Okay. Because she's his first victim, obviously, because it happened before. Too, so there you go. So he this is his first wasn't victim. wasn't a sailor. He was lying. No, no, he was probably a sailor, but he was just probably in a new training. You know, oh. he was probably part of that training facility. Okay, and, he went yeah. into something else of new training. Yeah, or okay. he was part of that training facility for whatever the reason is. But I will say when I looked for his records navy records dude you can't find shit no you can't I mean, it's really hard to find really those like, yeah they, that information they, they, that, like, they lock it up unless they want you to know about it yep 
So trying to figure out like when exactly he listed and I couldn't. Yeah, any of that. Well, but that's what I'm saying. You know, he has an MO, obviously. This is his first victim here, picks her up at a bar. And then obviously, you know, we're going to get into a little bit more detail of her killing. But obviously, the next time he was much more, you know, discreet about meeting up with her in public. And not having any witnesses. That's right. Around 10 a.m. on September 19th, 1982, joggers stumbled upon Kathy's body in a gulch along Nuwawana Pali Drive and asked nearby residents to call authorities. According to an affidavit, Kathy's body appeared to have been thrown from the side of the road before it rolled about 20 feet down the slope and came to rest. She was fully dressed but had obvious signs of trauma, including scratches on her neck, a bloody lip, and eyes that were bruised and swollen. Dang, so he beat her too. Yeah. I wonder if... She put up a fight, I'm sure. Yep. Court records indicate that semen was found in Kathy's body as well, but it was unclear at her autopsy if she had had consensual sex or if she had been sexually assaulted the night of her slaying. I'm going to say sexually assaulted. Well, of course, yeah, because obviously... Because like, I can't see her saying yes to sex and then him beating the shit out of her. Yeah, I, I would, mean, no. I mean, going on and having another victim, I think you can indicate that to be correct. Oh, yeah. As detectives began attempting to identify the dead woman, they learned of the missing persons report filed by Kathy's friends. One of her co-workers went to the morgue and identified her body. Oh, God, that would be so terrible. Oh, so terrible. Look, if something ever happens to me, do not let my husband go in and identify. Please go in and don't don't let him see me like that. No. I know you can handle that. <laughs> and I know that. Please don't let him see me like that. Please no. go and identify my body for me, uh, please. Of course. But yeah, I've been there when people have come in to identify bodies of their loved ones. And it's it's just heartbreaking. There's nothing more to say about that. And especially when it's a really, really bad situation where they're, in this case, where they're beaten and they're, they've got a lot of injury and trauma to them. It is just gut-riching and I've been there with it. I mean, it, it's a tough situation for anybody to have to go in and see them like that. Ugh, I can't even imagine. I feel like I'm going to get teary-eyed. Oh, I can't even imagine. Uh, yeah, it is a tough, and especially in this case where she was so badly traumatized. Yep. New developments in Kathy Hicks' case wouldn't occur until 2021. Gardner's DNA, which had been collected in the Pamela Cannon's case and entered into the FBI's combined DNA index system, tied him to Kathy Hicks' killing that was two years earlier than Pamela's murder and more than 4,700 miles away. God damn, he put some miles between those. Yeah. In July of 2023, in a Hawaii courtroom, eight men and four women grappled with the decision of finding 63-year-old Gardner guilty or not guilty of the 1982 murder of Kathy Hicks. On the first day of deliberations, the jury asked whether they could have another choice. I'm sorry, what other choice do you want? Well, it's either guilty or not guilty. Sure, and you have to understand something too. It, it all goes down to how it was presented, what your expert said, what was heard by the uh, jury and what wasn't. So that's the thing that I think is so difficult for a lot of people to understand is that there's rules of evidence, there's rules of criminal procedure that everybody has to follow, prosecutors and defense attorneys. And as a jury member, you get asked those questions like, we're on a podcast, so you ask me those questions and I can follow up with that and kind of go through stuff. As a jury member, you don't get to ask questions, number one. And number two, there's no follow-up. So if they say something off cuff, it might be in your mind, but you're never going to get an answer for that till after you make your decision. And it's beyond a reasonable doubt. So it's really tough when you talk about that. Now, again, it all depends on how they presented the DNA evidence to them, how the genealogist came aboard and presented their DNA evidence to them, and or how the, you know, the, the lab people came across. I mean, there, there could be, I don't know anything about her case. So I don't know what went on in that courtroom, but it just depends on what happens. Okay. 
Despite DNA evidence in the end, the jury found Thomas Lewis Gardner not guilty of Kathy Hicks' murder. The deputy prosecutor was unable to tell jurors that Gardner had killed another 25-year-old woman in the same manner whose body was also left in a secluded area just two years later. So the jury never knew that he was already serving a life sentence for the murder and that his DNA had been found on both victims. Yeah, what you have to go back to to is what you said. Remember what the coroner said. There was no way to know if if it was a sexual assault or if it was consensual sex. So that probably came out on the stand. So now you've got jury members sitting here going, well, if he didn't rape her and it was consensual and maybe somebody else came along and and strangled her. I mean, there's all kinds of reasonable doubt to put in those jury's minds. And what I've told you before, remember, just because DNA is there doesn't mean it means the person did it. It just means the DNA is there. Now, semen being in underwear, obviously there was sex there. Right. But the coroner couldn't make a decision whether it was uh, an assault, sexual assault or just a consensual sexual hookup. That's where the problem is coming out. I get that. And the prosecutor's hands are also tied in what the judge allows in. Yeah. Judge Rowena Somerville accepted the jury's verdict and released Gardner from custody in the case to return to Florida and continue serving his life sentence for the Pamela Cannon's murder. Okay, Corey. So mistakes that you either see on investigators parts or on Gardner's part. So there's mistakes on both sides of it, really. Like I said, the way that they approached Gardner early on with the with the Pamela case was a little bit, you know, kind of wonky. And I've already talked about that. I mean, obviously, his mistake is going to be leaving his DNA behind his semen. But back then, they didn't know any of that. So it wasn't something they were worried about. Nowadays, you're not going to find that. You know, you're going to find people who are very careful about what they leave behind. Or you see them burn a body now so that there's no DNA evidence. You're seeing a lot more of an uptake of that as well. But... To me, in the second case with Kathy, they had some bigger hurdles to overcome than they did with Pamela's case. And that's the fact of your coroner was kind of, in my opinion, shitty. (laughs) They should have been a little bit more precise. And I'm sure they probably didn't do that well on the stand. But of course, when you're talking about Hawaii, you're talking about an island state. So, you know, to get somebody out there so far away from the mainland and to live there, you know, it's going to be difficult. Even though it's a beautiful paradise, everybody loves it out there, but it's very secluded. So the people who live out there and the people who work out there, you know, obviously you can't just bring in somebody else to do a second opinion because it's going to cost a bit of money. Yes. So I think that that was probably a big mistake there, just that the he couldn't he couldn't give them more than what they wanted. And of course, they couldn't talk about the, the prior or the or the conviction already because you can't talk about that during the jury trial. You you can only talk about that during punishment stages. So that's where that probably is coming in too. So not so much mistakes as I mean, not said the two that I pointed out, but definitely, unfortunately, justice wasn't able to prevail for the second victim in this case. At least he's serving a life sentence. Well, yeah. And, and and at the end of the day, I mean, I'm sure that was a conversation that, in, while inappropriate, probably happened in the jury room in, in, in Hawaii. He's you already know. serving life. Well, they, don't, well, they, they, didn't know they that. didn't know that. They didn't know that. But I'm sure it's a matter of you're talking about convicting somebody of a cold case that's over 30 years old. I mean, you got to have more than just a hunch. It's got to be more there. I would agree. Well, as always. Stay strange Strange and unusual. We'll be back next week with another cocktail and a new tale of sinister minds, reminiscing crimes, and mistakes they left behind. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and download us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite show. Want the recipe to try Corey's Sinister Cocktail from today's episode? Or have any constructive feedback or true crime stories you would like to hear us cover? Or even Sinister Cocktail recipes for us to try? Email us at SinisterCrimesAndCocktails at gmail.com. 
Visit our website, www.sinistercrimesandcocktailspodcast.com, Facebook page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, and our Instagram page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails. Love what you heard and want to help support our show or donate to our Sinister Cocktail Fund? You can donate to our cash app at money sign Sinister Crimes, all one word, and we will give you a shout out on our next episode and which fund you donate to. Thank you. (laughs) 